This is JSA Radio, where you are family. I am Ditako Ditako, the host of The Gay Agenda, the show that tries to leave you feeling a bit more informed. And this is what went down this past week. Gay SA Radio, where you are family. You're listening to The Gay Agenda with me, Ditako Ditako. And in our next story, um, I don't know if people have seen this. I'm actually, somebody sent me this book to read and I want to read it. Um, I'm about to read you the scathing book review, rather, of Lost Boys of Bird Island. This review was written by Jacques Pau, and um, it might ruin, because I haven't read the book yet, it might ruin my perception going into reading the book, having heard this man's perception, or perspective rather, of it, but... Yeah, this is what he had to say. He said, it is with trepidation and after much brooding that I give my take on authors Mark Minnie and Chris Stein's revelation that a Port Elizabeth pedophile ring penetrated the highest echelons of the apartheid government in the 80s. I want the allegations to be true, to demonstrate the final ultimate depravity of men in grey suits and grey shoes that destroyed the lives of millions of my countrymen and brought us to the brink of civil war. This is especially true of Magnus Malan, Apartheid's ultimate hawk and architect of the total onslaught ideology that enabled the regime to murder their political opponents and oppress black people. He has to say that in the beginning, though. He wants to, because I think he's about to tear into the book, but also because the book is from an Apartheid era, he doesn't want to look like he is defending Apartheid, so... That's what he was saying in the beginning. Many readers, he goes on to say, many readers and non-readers of the Lost Boys of Bird Island embraced the allegations that Milan and his cronies raped underaged colored boys because they argue that an evil system like apartheid most probably spawned such unsavory beasts. I would believe it, and I haven't read the book yet. He says it is it is almost dangerous to challenge the allegations in the book as it may brand you a magnus sympathizer or apologist exactly is what i just said it is the last thing i want to be known as i have since the late 80s exposed various elements of milan's murderous military operations and wrote two books about apartheid's death squads okay i have always said that if there was one apartheid leader that deserved to rot in prison it was magnus milan I initially decided not to read The Lost Boys of Bird Island as the allegations in the book were, like for many journalists of my age, not new. Okay. He says, I then received a call from a helicopter pilot that was based at PE's 16 Squadron Air Force Base at the time that the boys alleged that they were flown in army helicopters to Bird Island where Milan and his cronies raped them. I also spoke to a second helicopter pilot. They both cast cold water on the allegations, but they their evidence will be wrongly, I believe, rejected because they served apartheid. Exactly. This is despite one of the pilots that said he was abused as a child and wanted to believe it. He today lives abroad and is a CEO of a company. Okay, that has nothing to do with the story. They agreed that the boys wouldn't have been flown by helicopter. There were simply too many eyes and it would have attracted too much attention. That's what the pilots who were pilots at that time claim because the book claims that boys were flown in. The pilots who were pilots at that time are now saying that couldn't have been the case because a helicopter would have caused much attention and such a thing, if it was happening, would have been a very secret operation. 
A Puma has two pilots, a flight engineer and there is a ground crew. There would have been passenger manifests. Pilots would have spoken among one another about boys being flown to the island. I then received a call from an old police friend, a highly credible and experienced lawman with no ideological or political sentiments. Read carefully how co-author Mark Minnie conducted his investigation he told me your eyes will open i then read the lost boys an afrikaans copy because the english version was sold out by then mini was dead the result of him pointing a pistol at his head and pulling the trigger oh one of the authors killed himself although many believe it was a hit the acclaimed forensic scientist dr david Klatso, appointed by the family to investigate mini's death has found it was suicide oh so he committed suicide i wonder if the book has anything to do with it um, the book provides uh, prima facie evidence of a pedophile ring in the 80s in Port Elizabeth and that Mark Mini spoke to child victims and opened a docket. There is evidence that the ring had as, as its central valiant diver and businessman John Allen, who procured boys for a band of pedophiles. According to Stein and Mini, Magnus Milan, John Willey and another li living former NP cabinet minister that they don't identify raped these boys. Former apartheid minister Barant Duplessis has identified himself as the unnamed pedophile and has denied the allegations. The book hinges on the credibility of Minnie and Stein. One must trust the existence and revelations of their numerous unnamed sources to believe the book. I have serious problems with the integrity, uh, with the, with the integrity of especially Minnie, the, which is the late author, one of the two, one of the co-authors who apparently took his own life. Judged on his account. Of his investigation, Minnie is no hero. He was a sloppy, negligent, and careless policeman that botched his own investigation. Minnie portrays himself as a Benny Griesel type. Uh, Benny Griesel is Dion Mayer's hero cop of police, an uncompromising, hard-drinking, hard and bar-fighting cop that often went to work with headaches and hangovers. The book also starts with a bar scene where... He pummeled an oak built like an ox into dreamland with an ashtray. He also broke the scoundrel's nose. I am not sure why Minnie thought it necessary to entertain us with his bar shenanigans, but it was while having a broken finger that he interviewed a 14-year-old colored boy that revealed the existence of Alan's pedophile ring to him. The boy told him that Alan had recruited he and his brother to have sex with older white men. The boy said his brother had been brutally sexually assaulted by one of the men and was in fact, in hospital, Minnie visited the other boy in hospital who had been shot in his anus by one of the men. It later turned out to be Magnus Milan. He was rushed to a whites-only hospital for emergency medical treatment. The boy refused to speak to Minnie, who decided to trick him. He told him that his injury was was of such a nature that he might well have contracted HIV AIDS from one of the men. But he, but don't worry, he told the boy. If you cooperate, I will make sure that you get the antiretroviral AZT when it becomes available in South Africa. He left the boy to stew in the knowledge that he might be HIV positive and went to a bar to drink double whiskeys and soda. Minnie acted almost criminally. Imagine the trauma that the boy was going through. A sadist had sexually penetrated him with a pistol and shot him as though that was not enough. A cop told him he might contract AIDS and would only be treated if he cooperated with the investigation. I'm sure Minnie's action flouted every police rule and it might very well have been illegal to treat a minor in such a manner. 
I feel like he's focusing on the wrong thing though. But yeah, what the cop did was also wrong. The boy later agreed. The boy later agreed to speak to Minnie to get his um, AZT treatment and said they were flown in army helicopters to Bird Island where they were raped. The boy barred the existence of a particularly cruel pedophile that he called Or Ears. It was Malone, the man that had shot him. Minnie concluded that the boys had been to hell and back, trapped in a sinister world where they were abused by older white men. And yet, he does nothing to ensure their, their welfare or safety. These were children that were on drugs, drank heavily, were prostitutes, and were regularly raped. A policeman is legally and morally bound to assist a neglected and needy child to get a place of to get to a place of safety, probably by involving social welfare. Yet Minnie did nothing to let them to did nothing rather and left them to their own accord prompting him to ask 30 years later i often wonder about the boy that was secretly treated in hospital did he survive and if so is he still alive oh that's what minnie would ask in the book if stein and minnie are to be believed magnus milan was prepared to murder to conceal his crimes that made the boys targets why didn't minnie attempt to protect his witnesses so um, the the author of this opinion piece is um, Jacques Pau, is who is the man that read, wrote the book um, that was attacking Zuma and apparently revealed some secrets from Zuma's past, if I'm not mistaken. He is attacking the book not in terms of its credibility. He is not questioning the truth behind the allegations, but he, the conduct that, because one of the authors of the book, or both authors, if I'm not mistaken, were cops who were aware of this pedophile ring, but they kept it to themselves, did nothing to help the victims, and 30 years later released a book. So if I'm not mistaken, that is what he is questioning, and that is what he is finding disgusting in their conduct. The fact that they were they were more focused on collecting data for a book that would make them millionaires than protecting the victims of what was a destructive pedophile ring, which possibly destroyed the lives of these young men wow also i love tell-alls i love books that reveal things that we thought we knew and things that you know things that we were comfortable in and and these books are written and they come and they shake us to our core and we left there going huh you know that you know what i'm talking about right yeah Nonetheless, you're listening to The Gay Agenda on Gay Essay Radio. I'm not going to encourage people to read this book or not. I am going to read it, and I will give you my own personal um, review and account of it, how I experienced it, and, and what I think about it. You can also read the book in the meantime and give us your thoughts and feelings and understanding of what happened during this time and let's all let's swap notes and and let's compare and let's see what we make of this but yeah the fact that the author one of the authors killed himself also i think it makes the book all the more even like um sought after that's what happened with catcher in a rye it's apparently the book that inspired john lennon's killer you know, so um, books that have murder attached to them become overnight bestsellers because you're wondering if the information in the book um, is part of what drove this person to to kill themselves or others. And, and, and it is quite interesting, but dang, yo. Yeah, books. Hey, I've always loved books because of the the power they have, and sometimes that power can be quite a destructive one. Like with all power, it can be used for good or bad. But yeah, hey, I'm a bit shook. I'm a bit shook, but even more intrigued and interested. And I've, my interest has been piqued and I need to read this book. You're listening to The Gay Agenda on Gay Essay Radio, where you are family. 
And our next story, gay student is awarded 10,000 US dollars for bravery after fleeing conversion therapy in Kenya. Yeah, you are rewarded for doing the natural thing, by the way. Hmm, not sure how I feel about this, but go you. So it's been just over a year since Mahad Olad, a student activist and columnist for New York University website, The Ithacad, escaped gay conversion therapy in Kenya. Uh, Mahad, who identifies as gay and an ex-Muslim, penned an emotive, in-depth article about his experiences. Now both his bravery and his activism are being formally recognized by the Colin Higgins Foundation, which recently awarded him with a youth, with a youth courage prize. The prize comes with a 10,000 US dollar grant, the majority of which Olad plans plans rather to spend on educational cost. The Ithacan reported that Olad also plans to get some of the money as to to set some of the money aside to create a visual media project dedicated to capturing the lives and experiences of LGBT plus Africans. This is a topic close to his heart. He's written in the past about his relationship with Islam, the challenges he's faced as a first generation immigrant student, and the necessity of campus hate speech policies to protect minorities from abuse. His tale of escaping conversion therapy is particularly harrowing. On the blog, Olad describes being tricked by his family and flown to Kenya, where he was advised to withdraw from college and surrender himself to a group of sheikhs whose aim was to reform his religious beliefs and reorient his sexuality. He says, quote, I knew that it wasn't really a choice. A few sheikhs were at our hotel that night. They briefly spoke to me about how being gay and atheist is unequivocally against my Islamic upbringing and African heritage. I knew that when they came back to get me the following morning, I would be forced to go with them. A panicked Olad soon fled the hotel, lied to his family, and contacted ex-Muslims of North America, a non-profit organization dedicated to helping Muslims who leave the religion and then face discrimination or misunderstanding. So the organization is called ex-Muslims of North America. Mm. There's an organization for everything nowadays. The organization helped him escape from that point onwards, providing aid which Olad writes sheltered him from the known horrors of gay and religious conversion therapy. He says the leaders operate the camps around grim parts of Somalia and Kenya. They submit their captives to severe beatings, shacklings, food deprivation, and other cruel practices. It usually involves a rigorous Islamic curriculum. Those who fail to cooperate, make adequate progress, or try to escape could possibly be killed. He has since dedicated himself to fighting against the practice of gay conversion therapy and trying to raise awareness of its survival in Africa, where it tends to be shrouded in secrecy. He says, quote, we don't have exact numbers of how many young people are forced to go to these camps, but we know the numbers are growing, close quote. Conversion therapy has also recently made UK headlines after the government officially launched its LGBT action 
plan. One of the predominant aims was to stamp out the abusive practice which has previously been condemned by the United Nations and listed as an example of torture and ill treatment. For those of you who don't know what conversion therapy is, it is a therapy where they try to make you straight. In some African cultures they also believe that taking you to initiation school is a form of conversion therapy because initiation school is associated with turning boys into men and they believe that this is one of the ways to do that so there are many practices they don't all call it conversion therapy but it exists in many parts of the world and it goes under many names gsa radio where you are family some very interesting things that people are doing with their bodies guys but anyway, to each his or her own, um, whatever makes you happy, as long as you can handle it, emphasis on the word handle, then it's fine, babes. But in this next story, um, loss of handle seems to be the problem. But these very innovative and ingenuitive doctors made a plan. Doctors invent new tool to lasso 23-inch dildo out of a man's rectum. I mean, we I've brought you a story where a man had a 10-inch penis um, sort of crack his ribcage or something internal went wrong, 10-inch. This person had a 23-inch dildo lodged in his ribcage. Are you hearing me properly? So doctors in Italy were forced to make a lasso-like device to remove a 23-inch dildo lodged inside a man's colon. The 31-year-old man checked into a hospital in Milan saying that the 60 centimeter, 60 centimeters, that's two rulers, one on top of the other. The 60 centimeter sex toy had been stuck inside him for about 24 hours, yo, after he had inserted it into his rectum. According to a report filed in the BMJ case reports, a team of medics led by Dr. Lorenzo Discoridi at the ASST Great Metropolitan Hospital in Neguarda, Milan, first tried unsuccessfully to remove the dildo using several standard attempts with different extraction devices. The doctors reported that their attempts failed because of the rigidity, the smoothness, and the large size of the sex toy. So it was very rigid, smooth, and huge. Um, the man reported that he was suffering from abdominal pains as a result of the sex toy being lodged inside him. The medics then crafted a homemade device, which was used to lasso the dildo and pull it out of the man's rectum. Uh, the, the article reads on the BMJ case report that, quote, we finally succeeded in the endoscopic extraction of the device catching the distal edge of the dildo with a guide wire lasso. This device showed a technical advantage as compared with ordinary uh, polypectomy snares due to its much higher stiffness. The man was allowed home on the same day as the removal procedure um, well, uh, as the removal procedure and um, after the removal procedure rather and made a full recovery. Wow. It comes up after a gay man from Chicago, Illinois, was recently called a legend, a martyr, and an idol. This is the story I was telling you about. After he posted on social media the story of how he ended up in hospital for three days after sucking, that's what he did, a Hulk-sized dick is what it was called on social media. Freddie Alanis posted a selfie on Twitter last week with the caption, Excuse the bad angle, but remember when I sucked a Hulk-sized dick and ended up in the ER afterwards? LMFAO, never forget. The tweet immediately 
immediately attracted people's attention with many commending him for his hard work and asking him questions about the dynamic of the incident which took place at the beginning of January. Some people are really brave guys. People are willing to take chances. People are daredevils and they are willing to put large foreign objects in their bodies all in the name of pleasure. You know what? Do whatever makes you happy. That's what we always say. But when it has to involve medics then you maybe you have gone too far. So let's, yes, let's pleasure ourselves but let's also be careful. Let's be cautious and let's not let pleasure lead us to the ER. That's that's just my two cents worth on the matter. But the 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 sex toy was extracted from the man's abdomen and he is now okay. I hope he is not just okay but he is wiser. He has learned a lesson and he will not attempt that. I don't know if we should also be blaming the manufacturers of the sex toys for making sex toys dildos that are 23 inch long. That's huge. That's 60 centimeters long. That's literally two rulers, one on top of the other, a standard uh, ruler, one on top of the other. That's how long this is. That's really long. Come on, guys. Really? Wow. But anyway, who are we to judge? It's not our place to each his or her own. You're listening to The Gay Agenda on Gay SA Radio, where you are family. Do keep streaming. And thank you for making Gay SA Radio your radio station of choice. Hope you found that interesting. And to catch more of that, if you did, do tune in to The Gay Agenda every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. only on Gay SA Radio, where you are family.